page 20 in your booklets. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for an amazing day. Thank you so much that no one got seriously injured in that game that we played this afternoon. I thank you so much for the words that you give us to read this this evening. And I, I pray, Lord, that though we're tired, not one person would miss the glorious things that you have to say to us. Father, would you please speak? Would this be your voice that people hear? Would I be invisible? Would people see only you tonight? And Lord, would you give us the longing and the hope that your Bible holds out to us and set us free from this world to live for you, that you would get the glory you deserve as the one who is better than this world, that our lives might reflect that and that our friends might see it and turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me tell you about one of my most embarrassing moments. I was invited to a friend's 18th birthday party. Her name was Heather. And on the invitation, it said, theme, dress up theme, dress like Heather. Now, if you've been around EV Youth for a while, you'll know that we get into dress ups a lot, ridiculously a lot. And so I went all out. I went to Erin Affair and at Hot Dollar, I bought a brown wig. Uh, I even got some of my sister's jewelry. I even wore some of my sister's clothes. They were disturbingly tight. (laughs) But I was ready, so ready for this. And so I turned up and her mum meets me at the door and she looks at me a little bit funny, but she doesn't say anything. And she just kind of points me through to the backyard. And I walk into the backyard, into a crowd full of people, all these 18-year-old guys from Terrigal High, and no one is dressed up. Do you know those awkward moments? Those moments where you think, that's a little bit inappropriate. I think this sort of thing happens to me more than the average person. So I've had lots of experience. And I've come up with a little bit of a theory. What I've worked out is that it's all about understanding the situation. Those awkward moments, those moments where you go, ooh, that's a little bit inappropriate. Those moments are almost always when you read the situation wrong. Because different things are uh, appropriate in different situations. Let me give you an example. The Queen Mary ship is the size of three football fields, and right now it's a museum. But back in the day, it was a luxury cruise liner. Except that in the Second World War, they converted it into a transport ship to carry soldiers. And so now, as a museum, it's this amazing contrast between the sort of lifestyle that's appropriate in a time of peace and the sort of lifestyle that's appropriate in war. On the one side, you see the dining room set up for luxury in peacetime with a dazzling array of knives and forks and spoons. It's high class. On the other side, you see how it's set up for war time. Instead of 15 plates and knives and saucers, you get one metal tray with dents in it for your food. uh, You've got bunks eight levels high, cramming as many people uh, into those cabins as possible. Can you imagine how revolting it would be for the owner of that ship to watch it go through that transformation? But it was a national emergency. The world was at war. Millions of people, their survival depended on it. 
And so imagine how inappropriate it would be to be floating around in a luxury dining room with 15 cups and saucers while your entire country is at war fighting for survival. See, the sorts of lifestyles that seem perfectly appropriate in peacetime seem totally inappropriate in wartime. And the sort of sacrifices that seem ridiculous in peacetime are exactly right in wartime. So what's appropriate depends on the situation. And we're not just talking about funny inappropriate. Sometimes there's also serious inappropriate, like kicking back and sunbaking right after a tsunami. That's not funny inappropriate. That's a national emergency, and you're being seriously inappropriate. And so the question we need to ask is, what situation are we living in right now? Is it peacetime? Is it wartime? More importantly, what sort of lifestyle is appropriate in this time that we live in? Because if life's a party, you don't want to be that massive buzzkill. But if life's an emergency, you don't want to be kicking back on holidays. Because you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize that your whole life was lived completely inappropriately for the time that you were living in. You don't want to discover that you did the spiritual equivalent of taking a holiday and sunbaking after a tsunami. You'll waste your life. You'll feel like a fool. But far worse, imagine hearing God say, what were you doing? That was completely inappropriate. Didn't you understand the situation? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says, We make it our goal to please Him. In everything we do, we want to bring a smile to God's face. And so we want to know the situation. What times are we living in? And so here's the first part of the answer. We are living in the last days. If you're taking notes and you're the sort of person that likes to try and guess them, you probably guessed it because the heading. But we're living in the last days. So turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 14. And this is after Jesus has been raised to life. He spent 40 days going around, hanging out with people. Then he went up to heaven where he still is today. And after that, the craziest thing happened. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, come down on the disciples and they all start to speak, to preach the gospel in heaps of different languages, all of the different languages of the people who were in that city at the time. And the city hears these people speaking all these different things, and they're like, what, are you guys drunk or something? They can't work it out. Anyway, you'll see what happens. Look at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And he keeps going. But the thing to draw your attention to there is that Hundreds of years before, through a prophet called Joel, God promised to give his Holy Spirit to his people. And that would be a sign that the last days are here. And so when this event happens, Peter says, this is the sign. The last days are here. So 
what are the last days? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the, the period of time just before the end. And so in verse 20 of Acts chapter 2, where we just were, it, it says the sun will be turned to darkness, is at the end, and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. That's the end. The great and glorious day. So do you want to know where we are in world history? We're at the end. God has declared that the end is coming soon. Our world is in its last days. If our world was a book, this would be the good bit. The bit you can't put down. The bit right before the end, the climax. If our world was a movie, this is the bit you can't go to the toilet during. No matter how busting you are. Even if it hurts a little bit. Even a little bit of weed comes out. You're staying in your chair because you know that the end is close and you want to see how it plays out. They're the last days. Now, does anyone here play rugby union? True football. Okay, true football. True football involves your hands. Now, I don't, need, I don't know what happens in other sports, but I'll tell you how a game of rugby union ends, okay? When the time runs out, the buzzer goes off. Time's up. But the game keeps going and it doesn't end until the ball goes out. That's when the ref blows his whistle. That's when it's over. Okay? The buzzer goes, time's up, but the game's not over until the ball goes out. That's the bit we're living in. It's over. The buzzer's gone. That was Jesus' death on the cross. But it hasn't ended yet. See, Jesus' death on the cross won the victory. That was the buzzer, the start of the end, but it's not over yet. And so we live in extra time. When the ball goes out and the whistle blows, that's when it'll all be over. The last days is what we're living in. Now, as you'd expect, this is a special sort of time. Just like how in rugby, everyone plays harder when there's only one minute left on the clock. There's one minute left on the clock of this world. And so the Bible is full of descriptions of what the last days will be like. For example, there will be days of false teaching. Have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, or it might come up on the screen. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And so these last days are days to be careful. They're days to be careful about what you believe and who you listen to. So that you're not led astray. And so guys, please, you have to make sure that whatever people are telling you about God is coming from the Bible. You know, if I could choose a sound that EV Youth would be known for, do you know what that sound would be? It would be the sound of the swish of 500 Bibles turning to find the place to check what God has to say for himself. These talks, any talks... Don't have any authority from my wisdom. I don't have a private line to God. Anyone who teaches you about God has authority only as it comes from this book and is accurately explaining it and applying it. You always got to check this book. Bring your Bibles to youth group. Bring them to talks. Because these are days of false teaching. And so they're days to be careful. 
There are also days to be careful to cling to Jesus. It's like saying, there's one minute left on the clock. Don't lose focus now. Don't slow down now. Don't give up now. The Bible says actually in another place, there are days to live with different priorities. This is James chapter 5. It's worth turning there. This is one of those passages in the Bible that really shakes me up. Because James is ripping into rich people, which we all are. Rich people who live for, but these rich people in particular live for possessions. They're living for possessions and money instead of living for God. And so in verse 1, he tells them to weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon them. But it's verse 3 that really scares me. Listen to this. Look at it for yourself. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Why? Here's the reason. Uh, It's at the end of the verse. It's because they've lived completely inappropriately. It says, You have hoarded wealth in the last days. These are the last days. The clock is ticking. The world's going to end up end any time. And you're piling up money? There's one minute left on the clock and you're getting comfortable? Like taking a rest at the end of a game of footy right before the end. Look at verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. It's like he's saying, you've got all your priorities wrong. You're living like it's peacetime, but it's wartime. You're building a luxury cruise liner when you really should be building a transport ship for soldiers. You're living totally inappropriately for the time that you're in. And so I desperately don't want to hear God say this to me. You have hoarded up wealth in the last days. People were starving to death and you thought you needed a TV? You really thought you needed an extra surfboard. It was the last days. How ridiculous our piles of stuff will look on judgment day. There's one minute left on the clock. We're living in extra time. It's time to live with different priorities. This is more like wartime than peacetime. It's not a time to live in luxury. It's a time to make sacrifices. We heard last night, we've got to get the message of Jesus out. Why would we waste our time, our money, our energy on anything else? If someone, if someone looked at the way you lived your life, would they think that you really believe that heaven is real and hell is real and that Jesus will judge every person? And that time could come any time now. And Jesus has a free way that they can be saved. All someone needs to do is believe. If someone looked at your life, would they think that you really believe that you're living in the last days? God, please make us a people who really live like it's the last days. So the Bible the Bible tells us a lot about this time that we're living in. And the last days is this special period of time. I think it's an awesome time to be alive. It's the, it's the climax. 
But the most fundamental fact about these last days, according to the Bible, is this. The last days are the now, but not yet. See, let me ask you a question. This week we've been learning about Jesus' kingdom. Has Jesus' kingdom come yet? Or is it still to come in the future? Well, the Bible says the answer is yes. Yes, it has come. And yes, it is still to come fully. I'll give you an illustration and then we'll look at it in the Bible and then we'll talk about what it means for us. Who likes the last day of school? About half of you. <laughs> I don't know what the other half of you like. The second last day because you never go the last day. Do you know that feeling in the last day of school? You're sitting there, you're watching the clock. It's getting closer and closer and closer. Finally, the bell rings. You're on holidays. And how good is that feeling? But picture this. You're about to drive to Queensland where you'll stay in a house right on the beach on the Gold Coast. Are you on holidays? Yes, you are. But when you get to Queensland and stretch out on the beach on the Gold Coast, then you'll really be on holidays. You're on holidays now, but you're kind of yet to be on holidays. That's the now, but not yet. Has anyone ever bought anything online? Um, You know, once you buy it, it's yours. Do you know you can tell them to send that thing anywhere you want to in the world? Just think about it. You can have a lot of fun. You just buy random stuff and send it to random people. (laughs) Anyway, when you buy it, when you buy it, do you have it? Well, sort of. It's yours, but you don't have it yet. It hasn't arrived. It's the now, but the not yet. You have it now, but you don't have it yet. And Jesus' kingdom is like that. It's like... You're on holidays now, but you're not fully on holidays yet. Let me show it to you from the Bible. Jesus' main message was this. Ready? The wait is over. The kingdom of God is near. So have a look at Luke chapter 11, verse 20. We've looked at this in Luke this term. Jesus has driven out demons, and he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, which is what he was doing, The kingdom of God has come upon you. So the kingdom of God has come 2,000 years ago because the king came and he launched the kingdom. It's here. And yet, the New Testament often speaks of the kingdom like it's something still to come in the future. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 28, Jesus says there will be future tense. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. So there's a future sense to this kingdom. Something after the resurrection of the dead. In Acts chapter 1, don't turn there, but in Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replies in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set. And so the kingdom of God at that point hadn't come yet and it still hasn't come. And actually Jesus says there only God the Father knows when it will happen. 
But Jesus says, as for you guys, get busy telling people about the king. So there's the now and not yet. There's heaps of other places. The kingdom has come, but it hasn't fully come yet. And if it helps you to picture it, we live in the overlap of two ages. Okay, This world is still going, the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus has come and begun the kingdom of God. And so right now we live in that middle bit, the last days. The time between the ages. We look forward to the age when this world will be wrapped up and the new age comes in all its fullness. But right now we live in that overlap. And so we experience some of this age now and some of that age now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8 says this, The darkness is passing. Do you want, do you want to write that drawing down? Let's go back to that slide. Some people will quickly draw it down. Real quick, you've got 10 seconds. Do you want to count down? No. <laughs> you don't want to count down. Okay, fair enough. Five. <laughs> I'm stoked that you guys want to write it down so much. Read it out. <laughs> Is it Tom? <laughs> okay, that'll do. If you didn't get it, you can ask someone who got it. They'll give it to you later. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8 says this. Ready? The darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. Ready? The light is already shining now. But the darkness is still here. Not yet. It says it's passing away, not that it has passed away, but it's being pushed out by the light, but it's not finally gone. Now, isn't that what Christian life feels like? It feels like you've been shipwrecked, you've been floating in the water in the middle of nowhere, and then you see a rescue boat. You're saved. They pull you out of the water, they throw a rug around you, And there you are in the boat. You're rescued. But your feet aren't on dry land yet. You've got a long voyage ahead of you. In some ways, you're actually still going to feel the effects of being shipwrecked. The waves, the spray, the wind, the cold. But you're safe. You're saved and you're soon to be saved. It's the now but not yet. It's the last days. It's the overlap of the ages. So Jesus' kingdom has come. If you join his kingdom, you're saved. But there's a long voyage ahead of us. We're still going to feel the waves and the spray. And we look forward to that glorious day when this world passes away and the kingdom comes completely. That's exactly what it feels like to be a Christian. And it is such an important truth to get about the time we live in. If you feel that spray on your face, if you get hit by the waves, if life is hard for you as a Christian, it's so helpful to know that's normal. We live in the now but not yet. So guys, get your expectations of Christian life right. The Bible says life now will be bittersweet. A verse in the Bible says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Because we haven't arrived on land yet. The best is yet to come. 
The blessings that Jesus bought us on the cross are now ours to enjoy, but they're not yet fully given. Now that's the case with lots of things in the Christian life. You have them now, but you don't yet have them in the way you will fully have them. So you have a relationship with God, but you're yet to fully have that face-to-face relationship. When you become a Christian, Jesus makes you holy in his sight. And then he starts to work in you to make you more holy in your actions. But you're not yet completely holy in his sight and in your actions. The resurrection actually has happened for you. When you become a Christian, you get new life. It's called the new birth. You're born again. But you haven't yet got the full resurrection, the resurrection of the body in the new creation. We have eternal life right now. We will live forever. But we still have to face death first before death will finally be fully defeated. Satan has been defeated, but not yet judged and locked up for good. Jesus is ruling as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But opposition still exists. And later, he will once and for all establish his rule completely through judging and overthrowing his opposition. And so that's why Christians still suffer. You might think, if you become a Christian this week, you might think, sweet, Jesus, save me. Everything will be sweet now. But that's not what the Bible says. We are not yet. In the perfected kingdom, we still feel the waves and the spray. And um, lots of people get into trouble in their Christian life because they expect the not yet to happen now. And that's the problem with some Pentecostals. Okay? Now, there's a lot to learn from Pentecostals. Their love for God, their passion to see God glorified, their heart for mission to see people join to, to come to know Jesus. They're brothers and sisters. We love them. But they make this mistake. They teach that we should be able to get some of God's promises now that actually he's only promised for the not yet, for the future. For example, uh, prosperity theology, the idea that God will prosper you, you'll be healthy and wealthy and, and things will go well for you in this life. They'll say Jesus came to set his people free from sickness. So if you're a Christian, you should expect God to heal you. Now, no doubt about it. God can heal you anytime he wants to. But should you expect God to heal you now? No, not yet. When will there be no more suffering? We saw it on the first night. It's the new creation which hasn't come yet. So many problems. I've seen it on a fat. I talked to a girl. She expected when she became a Christian, life would get better. She expected the not yet to happen now. And she was ready to give up on God because he hadn't met her expectations. He'd let her down. Jono talked to her and helped her to see that the problem was she misunderstood what she should expect from God. He will do those things, but not yet. That belongs in the future when Jesus will bring the kingdom fully. So guys, get your expectations right. It shapes how you read your Bible. When you read a promise in the Bible, you've always got to ask, does this belong to now or does this belong to the not yet? Or maybe, is it partly now and partly not yet? And Christians, remember that this is the now, not yet. Which means that the Christian life is future-orientated. We live our lives 
facing the horizon, walking forwards towards what's coming because the best is yet to come. And so, guys, if you are suffering now, don't worry. This isn't it. The best is yet to come. Hang in there. If you're loving life, well, know that this isn't it. The best is yet to come. Look forward to it and don't get too comfortable here. It's not your home. Don't let the... Don't, don't worry. Be content to let the things of this world pass you by because we're looking forward to the not yet. It's kind of like we're in that darkness of night, but the first signs of dawn have appeared on the horizon. The sun isn't up yet, but we are just starting to be able to see. We're starting to feel its warmth, but it's not yet fully risen. And soon the sun will rise and it will be day. But in the meantime, we live in that faint light just before the dawn. And the day is coming. So the question is, how will the last days end? When will the last days end? Well, the Bible says they'll end when Jesus comes and it says Jesus is coming soon. So we're going to end this series of talks with the last passage in the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. If you can't find it, turn to the end. Turn back a page. Revelation 22, verse 12. This is the event that the whole world is waiting for on tiptoes. It's Jesus speaking at the end of his book. Look. I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which means the first and last, which means the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that means who have his blood forgive their sins, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gate into the city. So Jesus says, I am coming soon. And here's the great hope and expectation of all true Christians. The last words of the Bible, verse 20. He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus, be with God's people. Amen. The Bible says he's coming back. And when he comes, that will be the full-time whistle. The Bible says he's coming soon. It could be any day. He's coming suddenly. There won't be warning. He's coming unexpectedly. No one knows the day or hour except God alone. He's coming visibly. You won't have to worry about missing it. He's coming personally. He's coming bodily. He's coming in glory. His first coming was just a glimpse of the full majesty he'll have at his second coming. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming as the judge and as the saviour to judge evil and save all who belong to him. He will finally establish forever God's kingdom as he has promised. 
The sun will rise. The day will dawn. The day of the Lord. And all these things that we've talked about in these night talks will finally happen. The dead will rise. We'll receive our resurrected bodies. The same rock-solid body we have now, but gloriously transformed. Never to die again. Never to wear out. Never to grow old or get tired. Never to sin again. And death will be no more. We will live forever. And there will be a day of judgment where Jesus will bring true justice to the world. It will be put right and evil will cease forever. Evildoers will receive what they deserve. Justice will be done. And those who have taken the water of life that he offered for free, that is, those who put their trust in him and made him their king, those people he will take with him, take to be with him forever in the new creation. Rock solid, like this world, but far better. Restored, no more crying or pain or suffering, because he will wipe away every tear. Reunited with God's people, but even more importantly, face to face with God, enjoying him forever. In nothing but sheer, perfect, unlimited happiness forever. That's what Jesus will do when he comes back. That's what we're waiting for. And that's why the Bible ends with this incredible sense of longing. Verse 20, come Lord Jesus. In the original language, it's the word Maranatha or Marana Lachlan. Maranatha, thank you. It's the word Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. Would you guys say that? Come, Lord Jesus. Ready? Come, Lord Jesus. It's the hope of the Bible. Come quickly. Yes, we're glad he's being patient because our friends and family haven't yet been saved. And for their sake, we could almost hope that he would delay. But for the sake of the world, we long to see him come. Drive away this darkness. End this pain. Put a stop to this evil. Let us be with you forever. We long to see you, Jesus. A few years ago in South America, a mine collapsed. I don't know whether you... Oh, what? That's not in my notes. Can I read that? Oh, I did read that. Never mind. A few years ago in South America, a mine collapsed. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it, um, but it trapped 33 miners 700 meters underground. And rescuers drilled holes deep into the rock trying to find them. And there was no sign of them. For 17 days. 17 days. And then they felt a tapping on the end of the drill. And they pulled it up. And there was a note taped to the end of the drill. It said, Estamos bien en el refugio los tronte y tres. I apologize to Spanish people. I don't know Spanish. Which means, we are well in the shelter. The 33 of us. They were saved. We've got footage of it. Can we play that? This is... Oh, hang on. Pause. Can we do that? I'll just tell you. This is... They put a camera down the tunnel. And this is the first footage we've got of them. Okay. That's good. Saludos, Gatón. 
familia y mi hermano y fuerza That'll do. That's good. Thanks, guys. Um, can you imagine that? 700 meters underground, no contact with the outside world for 17 days. And they were discovered and they were saved. But first, the rescuers had to work out a way to drill through 700 meters of rock. They had to drill a tunnel. They didn't know how long it would take. They, they found them in August. And they actually they said, well, we think we'll have you out by Christmas. Can you imagine being in that cave? It was dark. You saw just the light of their torches. It was damp. For 17 days, no contact with the outside world. Almost no food. Up on the surface, they have families. One of them uh, wanted to see his kids go to school. One of them, their wife was pregnant. They wanted to see their baby. Imagine seeing that hole appear through the roof of the tunnel. We're saved. And through that tunnel comes food and water and medical supplies, messages from the camp at the surface. They call that camp Camp Hope. They're cheering. They're singing the national anthem. One man says, We are super and extremely happy. Despite the bad conditions, we know we're going to get out of here. Now just imagine their longing to get out, to be rescued from the darkness. Now, 69 days later, the first miner made it out of the hole. And one by one, they brought all 33 up. Imagine their longing to see those rescuers finally appear. Guys, that's our longing. We live in the darkness of this world. We've been saved. That hole is punched through the roof. The light is dawning. But we are waiting for that day, the day of our rescue. Bring on the day of our salvation. The day we step out of that hole to be with the Lord forever. So guys, don't get too comfortable in this cave. The challenge is to lift our gaze above the tiny horizon of human history that we call home and to realize this is not our home. To look forward to the future that God has promised in his word. To be people of increasing hope and to praise him because it's all by his grace. We are super and extremely happy because despite the bad conditions, we know we're going to get out of here. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to say a few more things about what that means for our lives, but I thought this would be a great time actually to stand up and sing. Would you like to do that? And let's praise God for that hope that we've got. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It all ends with Him. And I just want to spend the next few minutes 
Talking about what that means for our lives now. So point three, life in the last days. What sort of people ought we be? Because guys, it would be so easy for us. It would be so easy to just listen to all these things and think, that's nice. Or as Shirley would say, that's nice. I can't do it. I lost my voice. It would be so easy for us just to listen to these things, think that's nice, and go on the same. Guys, we can't do that. That would be completely inappropriate for this situation. These are the last days. He is coming soon. He could come back any time. This is real. So this is the day to make sure that you are in Jesus' kingdom. Make sure that when he comes, he comes as your savior, not as your judge. You don't know when he'll come back. You don't know whether you'll get another chance. Don't miss out on Jesus' kingdom. Make Jesus your savior and your king while you have the chance. Turn from living for yourself and put your trust in Jesus. What's stopping you doing that? Is it worth it? Is that thing worth missing out on eternal life for? Nothing is worth missing out on eternal life for. Jesus, please be my saviour and my king. Join the kingdom tonight. Number two, remember that the best is yet to come. Don't get too comfortable here. This is not our home. Too many Christians want heaven, but they want to get as much of this world as they can along the way. We don't need to do that. That's like eating cardboard before a buffet, brec- a buffet breakfast. And you don't want to miss out on cardboard. You don't need to do that. You've got a buffet coming up. doesn't matter if you miss out on the cardboard. This world is so short compared to eternity. It's like a fingernail at the start of the freeway. It's like that you wouldn't steal a car thing before a movie. You'd be crazy just to focus on that and miss the, the movie. Who cares if you miss that trailer altogether? It's a good thing. <laughs> Guys, don't worry if you miss out on stuff in this life. Let go of this world. I don't care or I shouldn't care about the stuff that this world has to offer. I don't care about popularity, possessions in this life, fun in this life romance in this life, reputation in this life, success in this life, suffering in this life. None of that matters to me, or it shouldn't. This perspective gives the power to say no to sin and yes to God. Now, we all struggle with those things. I'm not saying that that's my attitude, but that should be attitude if we understood this. My friends are living for sin. They're lapping it up. They're trying to get as much of it as they can. They seem to be having fun. Do I care if I miss out? Parties? Getting drunk? Sex? Before you're married? It's fine afterwards. Sin? That stuff's cardboard. I'm on my way to an all-you-can-eat buffet. I'm not missing out on anything. In fact, I've got something way better coming. I'm going to be with God forever. He's my treasure. He's all I need. He is my home. This isn't my home. 
Number three, this is an emergency. This life is not a holiday. There's one minute left on the clock and we have a job to do. Jesus has given us a mission. Go and make disciples. We are here to take the news of Jesus, the Savior, to the ends of the world, to all nations, starting with the people that we know. We're on a rescue mission. Every hour, 6,000 people slip from this world into eternity, into either heaven or hell. And we have the only message that can save. All someone needs to do is hear about Jesus and believe in him. This is urgent. We've got to get that message out. Time is ticking. We don't know when he'll come back. There could be five minutes left on the clock. There could be 50 years. There could be 500 years. So we need to use every five minutes the best way we can in case those are the last ones we have. You know, in a fat game, though, when you don't know when the game is going to end, sometimes you need to take a rest in case the game's got another half an hour to go. Sometimes the best way you can use five minutes is to rest so that you can spend the next going. But we've got to use every five minutes the best way we can. See, this life is more like wartime than peacetime. And in an emergency, your priorities change. You make sacrifices. Every second counts. Every dollar matters. Every opportunity matters. Every person matters. And so every part of our lives needs to be shaped by this. What job you take. What you hope you'll get out of your life. Guys, what's your ambition in life? Get a godly ambition. Get an ambition to see as many people turn to Jesus as you can before he comes or he calls you home. Will you be someone who moves to the slums of India to bring the good news of Jesus to them? There are people on the planet who have never heard the name of Jesus. Will you move from your comfortable life and go and live with them, risking danger, risking sacrifice and comfort? Because you know they need to hear about the only one that can save them. I pray that God will send people from here all over the world. And whether or not you go, will you cross the street to tell your neighbor who hasn't heard? Will you love the people that no one else loves because they need him too? Will you pray every day for them to meet Jesus? Will you give your money and your time to this? Will you remind each other about this? Guys, this life isn't a holiday. It's an emergency. He could come back any time and we live on the edge of eternity. Fourthly and lastly, remember that the rescuer is coming. There is a light on the horizon. Dawn is not far off. So keep going as a Christian. If you suffer, hang in there. It will be worth it. Look forward to the day when he will wipe away your tears. And remember that one day you will stand before the judge. And you'll have to explain Everything you did, he'll bring into judgment every deed, whether hidden or including hidden things.
And so, the biggest application in the whole Bible of all of the stuff that we've talked about this week uh, in these night talks is this. Live godly lives. Live in a way that pleases God because you will soon stand in front of him. And because you belong to the light, not to the darkness. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. I want to end with these words. Second ending. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. No carousing, everybody. Um, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know when you see people who did crazy stuff at night, walking home in the morning, it kind of looks shameful because they're, they're all messy and... Uh, you know, like they're walking back from the pub, whatever, they're all over the place. And it's, it's daytime. And that stuff looks out of place in the daytime. Well, guys, we belong in the day. So let's live like people of the day. Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And guys, as we sang, Jesus is the goal. He's the end. On that day, it will all be about him. Every eye will be on him. We'll all be shouting his praise. We'll all be singing his glory. And since that's what it will all be about, live for that now. He is coming. Look forward to it. Let your heart beat faster. Sense the anticipation. The king is on his way. Winter is melting. Summer is coming. The darkness of night is falling away. The sunrise will be soon. We belong to the day. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's keep singing, but I'll pray. Father, thank you for this hope. Thank you that you are coming. You're, you're sending your son, Jesus, and we have such a great hope to look forward to. Please help us to live as people of the day in a way that's appropriate to the time we live in. And thank you that you are coming soon. Come quickly, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.